Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to listen to this message. To get more connected with us, you can look us up on all social media at CLC Victoria and download our app. Now, here's this week's message. I speak from Psalms 51 at least once or twice a year intentionally because it's one of the most humbling portions of scriptures in in the Bible where a king, a king, makes a mistake and he comes to himself and admits it and he begins to go with God and talk to God about about the mistake the mistake that David made was he 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 went into another woman and he found Bathsheba and he murdered Uriah her husband and to obtain and to go after his fleshly desires he committed the act of murder to commit adultery and it was such a a moment in his life that it wrecked him. He literally couldn't get over it. He was, he was so overwhelmed by his mistake that he finds himself writing a psalm. And think about this for a moment. We're in the book of Psalms, but he was so intentional in finding the place of restoration in his life that he wrote a song about it. And he wrote a song that was going to be sang by many other people. And so in Psalms 51, this is the repentance prayer song that David wrote concerning that incident. How many of you know that God is so gracious and so merciful and so loving and so kind that that I know there are a lot of you here that are recipients of that kind of mercy. Is there anybody here that's been forgiven multiple times in their life and and you're still standing, but but that came whenever you were transparent and real with God, and, and this is David. This is David, verse 5. In verse 5, it says, Behold, he admits admits his nature. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. Everyone say, uphold me. And uphold me by your generous spirit. God is generous. And he wanted, David wanted him to take that generosity and hold him up. Because he had fallen from a stature in his character. From one place of favor to another level of humbleness and disgrace. And now he's saying, God, I need your graciousness. I need your generosity. He said, and when you do this, God, in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you, God. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall bring forth praise. You do not desire sacrifice, or else I would have given it, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God. And here's the last portion. The sacrifices of God 
or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. David had the ability to give more offerings than anybody else would offer. All sorts of cattle, all sorts of resources he had at his disposal, but he understood right away those things won't please God. What God really wants, he wants for someone to come, be real, be honest, and humble themselves before him, and he can restore them. And David said, I understand that, God. Even in his royalty in his position and if you can just imagine being in a, in a place of authority like he was it, it can almost get to your ego in the sense if you think for one moment it happened to to kings in the bible where they looked at the kingdom that god had given them and they reflect on themselves and say you know look at the great things that i have done that's what nebuchadnezzar did but then David comes in with a different story and he shows himself to you and I and writes it down and begins to show his transparency. David was very transparent and very real. That's why I love reading the Psalms. And then he says, God, it's because of me. It's me, Lord. And I've and I've and I need you right now. How many of you are dependent on him in your life? Will you pray now? Now you pray. You initiate the prayer. Pray for this service. Pray for me that God would anoint me. If you're hungry for the word, ask God to give it to you today. I have a scripture. I have scriptures and I have a lesson. But you know what? God wants to speak to you individually. So speak it today. Come on out loud. Lord Jesus, I receive it today. Bless this service. God, anoint this house. Father, anoint my lips to speak. God, I pray today for your help. And I pray that you minister to every single person with the multitude of needs that are here in the building. I pray today we all agree together that you're going to meet every need today and minister to every person. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. Now give God one more, one more hand clap, one more honor. Amen. Please turn around and be seated and turn, somebody, turn to somebody and tell them I'm glad that I came to church today. Aren't you? <laughs> I, before we go further, I, I do want to mention this. Um, our prayers have been with the Torres family and the loss of their father. He'd, he'd frequent the church, and he loved this church, and he would come and sit and enjoy it, and I, I loved him dearly. And, and I want you all to know that tonight there's a visitation uh, for the family, and there's a funeral tomorrow. Keep your eyes on the family group page, and we'll put all the information there today, if that's okay. God bless them. Everybody say, God bless the Torres family. Now, King David recognized the generosity of God. Without God's generosity, he would have never become king, of course. But it's really unique to hear his story because in his story, when you look back on David, he came from humble beginnings. He, he, he wasn't like any other king that was born into royalty the only thing David had for him is that he came of the lineage of Abraham. And he had, a, he had brothers, and he had brothers that were of bigger, larger, more stately stature. He had brothers that would fit the bill according to, according to human, human eyes. And 
As everyone looked at David's family, he was the most unlikely likely. We know this. But we know that David also had experiences in his life that validated him and made him who he was. As a young man, he defeated a lion and a bear. God graciously poured out his, his ability to defeat those kind of war enemies and those challenges. God graciously allowed David to have favor and open the door for him and go and defeat a giant by the name of Goliath. God was so gracious to David and had been all his, his entire life. God was gracious unto David with his talent, and he blessed him with a special touch and a special anointing that comes on someone who's committed and dedicated to God like none, none, like none else. And when David, with that talent and ability, he would take that harp and he would strum across the strings and off of those strings and out of the mouth of David, there was the presence of God that came down and he was somewhat illuminated and just simply stood out from everyone else. And, and as he began to do this and play, uh, people felt something in so much that, that the handmaiden and the, the servant of Saul said that I know a young man who can play skillfully. And when he played for the king, King Saul, David as a young man played and he ministered to him. And that troubling spirit that was on King Saul left him because David had a generous God that anointed him, touched him, and moved in his life. That generosity would carry on the rest of the days of his life. He became an armor bearer, and God was generous there too. God enabled him to take all of his enemies, and people would sing songs, and they'd say, for David has killed his ten thousands. David stood above, head and shoulders, despite his stature and size and look. God does not look on the outward. He sees the heart of humanity. And his hunger for God was just upright. And he knew exactly what he wanted from God. Nothing more, nothing less than to, to fulfill. F -f -f <laughs> but then to fulfill. Yeah, if we were filming right now, I'd say, hold on a minute. Stop right there. Let me say that over. Thank God we're not doing that right now, right? To fulfill the will of God in his life. That's what the purpose was. That's what his drive was. That's all he wanted to do. That's what he said when he walked up to the battlefield and he saw Goliath. And he said, who would dare defy the armies of the living God? That's what, that's what bothered him. Why isn't anybody doing anything about this? He was an advocate for the kingdom. He was an advocate for the father. He was an advocate for God's people. That's what made him a great armor bearer, a great warrior, because he knew in his heart he was fighting for God and country. He was fighting for something bigger than himself. And then God raised him up and put the crown on his head. And he was anointed by the prophet. He pointed him out, and he felt that kind of anointing his whole life. God was so gracious to David, and he prospered him as a king and gave him property, gave him dominion over his, his, his area and his region because David stood for God. And, and if you will, if you look at David's life, although he went through trouble, although he had challenges, and let me remind us all, 
we are all going to have trouble and we are all going to have challenges. And all of us are going to face things in our life that will test our faith. But despite what David went through by being attacked by King Saul, by having a, a hit, by being on the hit list and having assassins trying to come and take his life, David never one time blamed God foolishly, and David never one time said, woe is me. David continually began to praise the Lord at all times and never let it cease from his mouth. David was a warrior, not just physically, but David was a warrior spiritually. He knew how to worship. He knew how to give in. He knew exactly what, he, what position he needed to be in in order for God to bless him. And what, 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 what stature he was didn't matter. But in God's eyes, David was bigger than Goliath. David was bigger than Goliath in the eyes of God. And Goliath was no match for him. But ultimately, David knew the secret to God's generosity. The generosity of God is so simple, but yet so complicated because you and I, I think even now, still have a challenging moment or a time to try to figure out why sometimes things aren't working out the way they need to work out. Or, or maybe God has blessed you financially because you're a hard worker and you, God, you will get what you sow. And if you do hard labor, you should get rewarded for that. And and, you know, ethics run into that and character and, and persistence and, and, and just the tenacity of being able to stick to one thing and focus on the main thing and realize that, you know what, it, it just hard work pays off and that's great. But generosity, but generosity takes you to another whole level outside of yourself and your capability. Generosity, when God's face shines on you, will open up doors that you couldn't have opened no matter what level you're at. Generosity will give you, will give you uh, relationships that you only dreamed of having for the sense uh, of maybe being mentored or, or having a business associates or, or having a relationship with someone that you never would have thought that you would have that relationship with. The generosity of God has no limits. The generosity of God, in fact, is stated in the scripture when he said, he shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory not according to my limited thinking, not according to my limited amount in my bank account, not according to my bad credit or good credit. God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Now, riches in glory, you have to begin to at least analyze that just for a moment. What, is the, what are the riches of his glory? More than what are they, how much of it is there? Every capability of God, every strength of God, all the attributes of God, the fruits of the Spirit, the ability to God, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the provision of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. David said, his mercy endureth forever. His mercy is everlasting in other Psalms, referring to the riches of his glory. And there was no end. There is no end to his resources. 
There is no limitation to his resources. And God wants to continually bless us. Let me establish this really quick and begin to shift and turn gears with us right now. It is God's will for all of us to be in good health. Somebody say amen. It is God's will for all of us to prosper and be out of debt. Somebody say amen. It is God's will for you to have a great relationship with your loved ones, for your wife, for your children, for your spouse, whoever it may be. God's intention is to bring the right people into your life and connect you to the right person. Somebody say amen. amen. Quite honestly, there is no area of our life that God doesn't want to step into. There's not one area in our life that God doesn't want to bless. When God shows up, when God is there, just like when he stepped into the house through means of an ark in the house of Obadiah, when God's ark was in his house, everyone was skeptical. They didn't know exactly what was taking place in terms of what would happen to Obadiah. Right before the ark was brought into his house, there were men that were actually killed by that box, the ark of the covenant, by touching it wrong, handling it wrong. And so everyone was kind of skeptical. Everyone felt like, you know what? I'm not letting that thing come into my house. You, how about you next? Would you like to have it next? No, thank you. We're good. Right? But Obadiah, listen to this. Just listen to this one moment. I don't read any, anywhere in the Bible where Obadiah did anything significant except just open up his house. I don't know of any scripture that gave any indication that Obadiah had a ritual every single morning or Obadiah did something that was significant to bring the blessings of God because the scripture says that the house of Obadiah was blessed and it even carried over to his neighbors and people that knew him. They saw him being blessed. Everything was prospering. The generosity of God began to come in because he was the only one that paid tribute and respect to the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant where he gave it a place in his home. And I am sure during that time, because of the reputation that it had before it got into his house, I promise you, he had the fear of God. That'd be like you and I walking into the room and say, hey, get, get that off the television. We got God in this house. You didn't hear about what happened to the priests when they were dishandled God's presence? Oh, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start getting on a rabbit trail. I don't want to. But I, but I must say, I have to say this, that you and I can never take the presence of God for granted. God's presence is so precious. God's presence is so real. When you've tasted and seen that God is good, when you didn't, you didn't know, you didn't know you were hungry until you, had, until you tasted him. You didn't know you were thirsty until you drank from his presence. Uh, we think we have it all together, but don't knock it till you tried it because God is so good. David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord, he's good. His presence matters. David said it like this. Oh, God, don't take your presence from me. Don't take your presence from me. 
above all things, God, you can, you can take everything else and you can deal with me in however you want to. Let my enemies come and let them come and, and fight against me. Let men pass judgment on me. But God, whatever you do, don't take your presence from me. I need it. Uphold me. Uphold me. Because I've now lost my position of integrity and character and favor. So I need your generosity to come back into my life to uphold me by your generous spirit. Pour it out in my life. That's what mattered to David. When you have the presence of God in your life, I'm going to tell you something. You have everything. You have everything. Not void of Jesus because God is inseparable. God is one and God is in your life. And when you've got the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus Christ in your life and vice versa. And the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, and the spirit of what was in Christ remains inside of you. The fullness of the Godhead is what the scripture said, dwelt within him bodily. That means all the quality of God, but not the quantity of God, abided within human nature and the capsule of humanity. God chose to visit you and I, and he gave himself up to an old rugged cross, and he poured his spirit out upon humanity, and now you have the riches of the inheritance of God's glory inside of you. Does that make sense? You've got the presence of God in your life. Somebody give him some love right now and tell him, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. I, I, I love his presence. I love his spirit. I can't live without it. But here is the kicker. When I'm walking with him, when I'm talking with him, when I'm obeying him, there is another level of God's generosity in my life, and I can feel it. God is always, despite my condition, despite what we do, God is always going to be merciful to us because of what happened at Calvary. The grace of God is always going to be available and always working. And he will sustain us. And he'll provide for us just like he has done for the flowers of the field and clothe the earth and just like the birds of the air. The scripture is true that when we do seek God first, all things add, are added to us. But that level of generosity comes from a term of someone who gives that has an abundant supply. Generous people have a revelation. Generous people have an understanding that God supplies their needs, and there's more where that came from. Generous people have an understanding that they're never going to be without. Generous people understand that they are servants to a generous God. Sons to a generous God, that they have royal blood in their veins. But like David, the moment we make a mistake and live in it, everything seems to shut up and stop based on one thing, our delay of repentance. Based on one thing, however long it takes for you to get back up, Based on one thing, however long it takes for you to forgive that other person or forgive yourself. 
David's biggest struggle was himself. David said, my sin is ever before me. That means that he couldn't get it out of his mind. And every time he came to God, it was there. And he condemned himself. And he wrestled with it. It just prolonged and delayed God's generosity one day and another day and another day. And it kept building up. And God knows exactly what your thoughts are from afar off. And God knows exactly what you're feeling now. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that whom is the, the high priest who's moved by the feelings of our infirmities and know exactly what you're going through. You think God doesn't know. God knows what you're going through. God understands everything you're feeling. God knows every thought of your mind. But more than anything else, he loves you so much, he wants you to come to him. He's the only one that can help you. He's the only one that will answer his phone. This week, I felt the Lord just begin to minister to me and talk to me and tell me people's problem is they just don't know how to wait on me. Waiting on God is an art. It's part of a relationship. I found myself at times trying to find a direction from God, and I wanted to go to God full speed, and I start praying and start praising Him, start worshiping Him, and, and sometimes it's worked when I, when I, when I felt that, that, that vein. You understand what I'm talking about? When you find that moment, sometimes it's just a matter of me responding uh, to what I'm feeling in His presence, but sometimes I can't find Him. And in those moments, I found this. If I just quietly wait on Him, and I'm willing to wait on him, then he'll come and he'll visit me, and I'll feel him. Black Friday just passed, and every year, it doesn't surprise me, but it never fails. People are camping out outside the store in tents, and people have got their lawn chairs with all their blankets, and they're on their phones, and, you know, and they're just waiting, waiting represents a desire to obtain something. Did you catch what I just said? Waiting proves how much you want something. How many of you were younger and you stood outside picket lines to go see a concert? You ever done something dumb like that? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm getting these tickets. Oh, there's no way. Can you believe it? Ramona Yala's coming to town. I'm going to see them. <laughs> Freddie Fender's here. I don't know. I'm so outdated, man. I don't, <laughs> I've been converted. <laughs> I don't know what you listen to. Oh, Ariana Grande is going to be here. <laughs> and you'll wait and you'll wait and you'll wait. But we don't have time to wait for God. Is that too harsh? That's the problem. I am all over the place, but I'm trying to get to a destination. Just hold on tight. Point number one. Let's get into it. Point number one. You're the only one who can stop your blessings. You're the only one who can stop the blessings of God in your life. There is nobody else that can do 
that except you. God doesn't want to stop it, but he has no choice to say, hold on a second. I got to give you a, a, a revelation and an understanding. I got to show this to you. When, when we deal with God, or God deals with us, there, there are three dimensions of how this functions. According to what I've found in the scripture, th there is the, the third. Can you read that? Oh, nope. You can't read that. Third. There's the third heaven. And that's kind of high. Paul wrote about the third heaven, and Paul said that it was a place of revelation, revelatory knowledge, where he was able to be seen as he sees God, and he had this knowledge that just flowed. He said some things he saw and understood that were just too hard, and you wouldn't understand. That means that his spirit was taken up to the third heavens of where God, God abides and where God is, where, where your, your humanity is no, is no longer restricted. And, and things aren't going through your brain. They're going straight to your spirit, and you're downloading things. Did you know that right when we get to heaven, one of the most, I, I believe, I believe this, according to Scripture, one of the most magnificent things that's going to happen to you and I is that the Scripture says, for now we see through glass darkly, but when we get there, we're going to be known as he is known, and we're going to be seen as he is seen, and it's going to be transparency Spirit to spirit, no restriction, abundant knowledge, flowing, just joy, happiness, clarity. And Paul made it to this place in prayer at one time, and he said, whether in the spirit or out of the spirit, I cannot tell you. I don't know what it is, but this is knowledge that I've gained from it. And if you recognize, outside of Moses himself, Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, if you under, ever wondered how Moses got the, the chronological uh, 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 day, the chronological, the, chron the creation of days in chronological order. All right, praise God. If you, if you ever wondered how Moses got it all right from day one to day seven and knew all of the ancestries before his time and all the people, it was because Moses' prayer life made it up to that revelatory place of revelation. And like Paul, Paul experienced it. Those two men wrote more books in the Bible. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament because God enlightened them. But they also knew that, like Moses, God put a restriction in his life because he disobeyed him. He was supposed to go into the promised land, but he disobeyed him concerning the rock. And he struck it instead of speaking to it. And Paul said, you know, I've got this thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times to God to get rid of it. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no matter how much you fail, or no matter how much you're challenged, if you'll depend on me, I'll keep on blessing you. And that's that place of warfare. And that's the second place in the heaven. The second heaven. Is a place of warfare. And that first heaven is a place of creation. Of the firmament that God created between heaven and earth. A place where the natural eye sees and a place where the birds fly. But the second place 
in the spirit is a place of warfare. It's a place of, of, of where angels abide. It's a place where spirits between, before that place where they get into where God is at, underneath that between earth and between heaven, that place in the spirit, that's exactly where angels abide and that's exactly where they're released. Angels abide in God's presence as well that are assigned to worship him day and night, but the assignments come down to the next level. And when your prayers, and listen to me for a moment, your prayers, when they are prayed, and you have an abundance of prayer that goes up, God, your prayers go up. And then God responds to your prayers and goes down into the earth. But he has angels that are assigned to it. Jesus said, from, you, you, you marvel because I said get up and walk or the blind eyes open. But from this day forward, you shall see the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. You're going to see them going up, and you're going to see them coming down. But you see, this area here, this is where you and I, many times, this is where we feel like the heavens are brass when we try to pray. That's where we feel like the heavens are brass when we try to pray. And I'll tell you why. The heavens are brass when our hearts are brass. And the only way that we can become hard-hearted is when, are you ready? Get ready. When a small three-letter word comes into our life called sin. When sin comes in, the heavens shut up. And what happens is, you want to know what occurs when we don't go to and through with God's will in our life that we have now allowed there to be resistance in these areas. And, oh, by the way, these are little, little a evil angels. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyways, you understand, we're teaching. <laughs> resistance. And then you have, then you have God who, who, who has angels I know I got to do a better job. That are here. I don't know why I did those little things. Just bear with me. And you have God who has angels that are ready to resist. But did you know that the scripture says, be careful that you don't, you're not entertaining angels unaware for they are obedient to God's word that comes out of your mouth. And therefore, you can speak to that mountain and the mountain can be removed because angels only obey the voice of God, not your voice. Hear me out. Angels only obey the voice of God. We were taught and we've been taught throughout our whole life that we can command angels wrong. You cannot command angels. Only God can. And when the anointing and the Spirit of God is moving in your life and the word that God gives you is released, angels have to obey it. That's why you stick with the word. And you can quote the word all day long, but until the Holy Ghost, until the Spirit and the anointing of God's word, the word was meant to convert our thinking. The Spirit, gave, the Spirit was given to us to activate it. 
And as a relationship with God is built up in your spirit, then God releases it, and he has something to say concerning your matter. That's why I encourage every single one of you to have an experience with God who have had a prayer language gifted them that you pray in the spirit as much as possible for you don't know what to pray for as you ought to according to Romans, but the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered and he that searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is, understands exactly what needs to happen because God has another view and if we don't pray, then we have nothing to arm them and we can never activate our angels. Angels are unemployed, but they're operating when your prayers come through. My point in the point I'm trying to convey to you is, is that when we fall or we make a mistake, we stop praying. When we make a mistake, we count ourselves unworthy. When we make a mistake, we are so hard on ourselves that we almost want to take the place of God in our life without even knowing it because we pass judgment on ourselves. But can I tell you, Calvary took that right away from you. You don't even have the right to judge yourself when Jesus said, I've forgiven you. I love you. I died for you. I've given my life for you. You don't, you don't understand. The blood has power to take away every sin. First John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm making a mess here. Let me get rid of that. But there is resistance there. There's a resistance there's a barrier, and we pray, and something's hitting, and nothing's happening. And normally, you and I are so spoiled. We are so spoiled because God's blessed us so much, and God's always been there. But when we mess up, we don't realize we think God's forgiven and, and it's stopped. He stopped. No, he didn't stop. You have just allowed spiritual warfare the influence of demonic spirits and spiritual deities and principalities to restrict the blessings of God David said that generosity that I was so used to experiencing in my life it stopped because number one, he stopped. He stopped. And when he stopped, angels stopped working. God's provision stopped coming like it needed to come. David couldn't live that life. David's been spoiled by the generosity of God his entire life. Favor's always been there. Things always worked out right. Things always come together. Things have always begun rolling. Momentum, the, book, the big mo was there, right? Momentum is what we all want. Momentum in our life and our relationships and our health and our businesses and our finances and everything is the momentum that God's given us. And it doesn't happen just because of sin. It happens because of our unwillingness to feel that we can proceed forward with God, feeling condemned, feeling 
like we are disqualified and we stop praying. We stop talking to God. We stop releasing his word. And we just give hell a, a, a moment to say, you know what? Ain't nobody messing with us today. Let's just stand right over them and clog up this whole blessing business. And I'm not going to let them give. I'm not going to let them prosper. And that church down there, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going to begin to mess with them. And I'm going to begin to cause some problems. It's going to take a whole year for them to go ahead and get that property. This is what God was telling me. And I was praying the other day, and I, and I prayed, and I said, God, I said, okay, Lord, tell me what needs to happen. I have prayed every day. I have sought you. I have quoted your word, and God began to deal with me, and he began to talk to me about my rushing him and also me limiting myself and limiting him. But see, you limit God when you limit yourself. You limit God when you limit yourself, and you disqualify yourself. And when we do something wrong, we feel like it takes a month for us to be granted grace again and good standing with God. No, it doesn't. It takes as long as it takes for you to open up your mouth and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. That's it. And it's done. All of the feelings that you have, it's you, not God. It's you. It's us. It's not God. And we allow a blockage. And the Lord told me, he said, here's what's happened. Because you have been through so many battles and so many challenges, you have disqualified yourself and limited me. There is a blockage. And if you'll begin to trust me and know that you've been, here's the key. Are you ready? That you have been seated with me in heavenly places right in here. You have influence in this arena. If you'll understand that you have influence and in that heavenly realm, you're seated with me in heavenly places, then you'll understand your authority. You haven't been praying right. Dismantle the programs that have been set against you. Release God's word. Start believing that you are blessed with favorable Abraham, that you are a child of God, that you are you have a purpose, and that purpose is tied to my kingdom. And if you'll begin to wait on me instead of rushing me and getting to my, in your own emotions and wait there long enough to get instruction from me, I can teach you what to say in your prayer time to release angels that are going to be released according to my words, not yours. Because we wrestle with our own words, right? I feel like this. I am so angry. I'm so upset. But, oh, Lord, forgive them. I, uh, I forgive them, Lord. But, but let, let, the, let them get into a, like a, maybe just a little accident or something. He. Oh, yeah, I've heard worse. I heard a preacher say this one time, pray the judgments of God on them. What? Don't come to my church. In other words, we get fleshly, but yet we try to act spiritual. Folks, that's religion. You have to forgive. Don't wish bad on anybody. Don't reward good for evil. 
The scripture says in Proverbs, if you do that, evil shall never leave your house. In other words, don't get jealous over somebody that does well and they feel and you feel like they haven't done you well and pray that God would just correct that thing and, and you, they, you don't congratulate them and you don't you're not thankful for them, but you're jealous. Jealous. I love to see you get blessed. Even more than that, I love to see you get blessed when I'm having a hard time because that gives me hope and I know that mine's on the way too. Because we have the same father. We have the same father, and he doesn't love you more than he loves me. And I may be not doing something right. Maybe I need to work harder. But, but the bottom line is, is that we have the same heavenly father, and if he blessed those men and women in the Bible, we, you and I are able to be blessed and experience God in the same way, in the same fashion. And Jesus even said, hey, greater work shall you do because I go to the Father and I'm going to give my life for you and there are no more restrictions and you're going to be able to see an abundance in your life. Jesus paid the price. So if you and I can restrict things, you and I are the ones, point number two, you and I are the only ones who can start the blessings again. Because once we begin... I'll tell you what. Once we begin to start praying and start moving, then these spirits right here, they're knocked out of the way. They're knocked out of the way. And God replaces them with his angels. And God says, Hey, Daniel, I heard you on the first day that you prayed, but I had to deal with the prince of Persia and Michael the archangel relayed the message. There was some resistance in the heavens and I heard you on the first day, but your prayers have come up as a memorial. I heard your prayers and now when I heard your prayers, God released angels to come in and when that happened, all the other angels skedaddled. And now, God is able to bless you and pour out his spirit on you and give you the answer and give you the wisdom and give you the favor. Angels went and worked and battled and brought the answer when he committed himself and waited on God. Took 21 days, but he waited on God. He waited on God. He was patient with God. He didn't get emotional about all the drama. He didn't get emotional about all the, 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 the decrees that were passed against him and, and his friends. He just knew that as long as he could wait on God, God was going to come through. And he didn't disqualify himself. He didn't try spending all day repenting and saying, oh my God, okay, I need to get rid of this, need to get rid of that. Hold on a second. If there's anything there that you need to get rid of, God will let you know. Stop trying to figure it out. He that doeth good and doeth it not to him it is sin. We're not sin detectors around here. There ought to be no police that go around and start telling everybody you're living in sin. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this. Hold on a second. Who made you the inspector of God's church? 
Nobody, God didn't call you to police. God didn't call us to go around and finding faults with everybody. While you're pointing at somebody, guess what? Got three pointing back at you. Judge not lest you be judged. I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy in my life. And, and I'm going to extend mercy to you because if I extend mercy to you, then I get more mercy in my life. And God knows I need it. I'm not worried about what you're doing. I messed up enough for both of us. I'm going to stay focused on him. But my prayer life, God established this principle that God is sovereign. But you may ask yourself, then why doesn't God move and do things on his own? I'll tell you why. Go read the book of Genesis. When God created humanity, God took the dust of the earth, formed it. Then he put his spirit inside of man. And the word hue means dirt, and man means spirit. And he called us human, comprised of both earth and spirit together. And he spoke over that creation, and he said, let them have dominion over the earth. Let them. It's their responsibility. God could never just step in sovereignly, sovereignly and do it, because a spirit cannot just come into this earth just by coming in. They're coming in illegal. That's why Satan took on the form of a serpent and went in and did then tried to deceive and did Eve. I'm getting off course, but I'm going to explain something to you because we, we have the misconception. Throughout the times that God created humanity, he put the responsibility on man when it came to the outcome of what happened on the earth. At one point, God said, man, they're getting it wrong. They just keep on going wayward. They're so bad, like... I don't even know what to do with them. I'm just going to destroy the earth and start over again. And God said, I want to let it rain. But Noah, you can get into the ark. And God destroyed all the earth. Why? Because men failed. God didn't fail. Men failed. He gave them law. He gave them uh, a way for forgiveness. He, he, he raised up Moses and brought them out of Egypt and created the tabernacle and the ark. And even then, it wasn't enough. And he established the law. And it wasn't enough. Then God says, you know what? If, I, if you want to do something right, you got to get it. You got to do it yourself. So God says, I'm going to send myself on the earth in the form of a man. So I can really begin to intervene. And in the uniqueness of God's creation, God did not come down and mixed his blood with humanity. Because the God that we serve was so smart. He told Satan, he said, Satan, you messed up when you deceived Eve. And one day I'm going to come back and the seed of her womb is going to bruise your head and he's going to bruise his heel. And God had a plan, but it had to be all God and not man. And only God can come into this world in a human form by him own, his own self because anything else would have been a violation of his own creation from the beginning. 
And so God said, I come in the form of a man through a woman. But you see, God in his wonderful plan knew that every child that's conceived, the blood within that baby's seed, the blood that's there, can never be intermingled with the blood of the mother. So when Jesus was born, he was born straight with the blood from heaven. No other blood, the blood of his father, the spirit of God, and he was untainted. He had no mixture, but he was in a capsule with humanity. So Jesus was the actual outer core, was the capsule, was the shell, but on the inside was the Christ, the anointing of God inside of him. Then when Jesus gave up his life, the body, Jesus died, but the Christ kept on living forever and went down and took the keys of hell down death in the grave and came back into the body and made the body come up again. And then Jesus said this, don't worry, don't worry. Where I go, you cannot come. But listen, there's going to come a day where I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh, and I'm going to give you the same ability. Jesus was a man of prayer. And if you ever wonder why he walked under an open heaven, it's because he had an open heart towards God, and he prayed to God always. And everywhere Jesus went, he opened up the blind eyes. He raised up the lame to walk again. Some get with me and God God brought supernatural provision into this world because he the reason why we saw it and why we saw God move so much and do so many things is because he needed a man or a woman in this world to represent him so he can work he wants to work and he wants to be generous he wants to pour out his blessings so much but he requires us to do it because he said, we may, I made man in my image, in my likeness. Now let them do the job. I'll work with them, but it's their responsibility. Jesus had the generosity of God come in overwhelmingly. The scripture says that everywhere he went, they were all healed all healed everybody you understand what i'm saying all is another small three-letter word but it has the answer to our prayers is in jesus when jesus shows up he can do all things all things there's nothing too hard for god to do say it with me i can do all things through christ who strengthens me the christ was the spirit in Jesus. That's why he was called Jesus the Christ. Christ wasn't his last name. It was an identity of what was in him. You have the Christ in you. And Jesus said, and when you see me pray, watch, when I walk, the angels of God are going to be descending and ascending upon me, and there's not going to be any restriction in my life until the time of my departure when I give it up. And that's when he went to the garden, and he said, Lord, I feel a release. I don't want this, but God, not my will. Your will be done. And, and hell thought that they had defeated God, and hell thought they had the upper hand because now all of this that was there, all of this that was there, everything was taken. Everything was gone. And it was going to be God who was going to allow every demonic force to come down 
and to take Jesus and to put him in that place that it thought it was going to be over. But in actuality, they expedited the process. And Jesus, before he could have a crown, he had to first go to the cross. And hell didn't know it, but they made him the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But what he did from that moment on, he said he was the king of kings. Who do you think the little kings are? Who do you think? Come on. The priest, or he was a priest or priest. And that same spirit that was in Christ is now in you and I and was poured out. And you, are you ready? And you have now been given the authority to see things change on the earth. You have now been given the relationship of a covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has poured his spirit out on us. And inside of you is the authority of God that has the influence to release the generosity of God. God will provide. God will meet the needs. But to live a life of generosity where he never fails and he always provides you, supernatural events take place. Blind eyes open. Yes, blind eyes. Lame people walk. Oh, come on, somebody. All these things. Am I, is, is, does anybody believe this stuff anymore? I mean, honestly, does anybody believe this kind of stuff? What would you do if you were walking with him, he was walking with you, and God asked you to pray for somebody, and God opened up a blind eye? You'd probably beside your, you probably would be beside yourself, but it wouldn't be surprising to God. God said, I've done that a thousand times through my son. I've done that through people all over the world. It's not a big deal. It's natural because that's how it is in heaven. There's good health in heaven. There's provision in heaven. That's my riches and glory, and I'm just bringing it to earth. Why does it surprise you? Why does it surprise you? It shouldn't surprise any of us. God is generous, and he wants us to live in generosity. How many of you have ever had God be generous to you and pay off your debts or, or bless you with an income or, or heal your body or, 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 or give you the proper, the, 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 the healing of a relationship that was necessary and cause you to, write, to walk with the right people? It doesn't end. God's generous. But don't allow yourself to restrict God. I leave this point with you in this one thought. This one thought and a conclusion. This one thought, and here it is. If they throw it up there, I'll, share, I'll read, it, read it to you. It's so good. Heaven opens up its windows to us when we open up our hearts to God. That's how it works. That's how it works. Can I give you a scripture? One more scripture? To validate what I'm trying to tell you, Chronicles, Second Chronicles 7, you know what it says? If I ever shut up the heavens, if I ever cause it the rain to cease. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will pray, then I will turn, my, turn from their wickedness, then turn from their wickedness, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Do you know what healing your land is? 
Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, and this may happen because God's just generous and he just, you know, loves to surprise us with that, that, that X factor thing going on, that wow factor. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean that if you start living right, then you're going to have the greenest grass in your neighborhood. You understand what I'm saying? I'm closing. Come on, Haley. I'm done. Thank you for, thank you for enduring this. But here's, here's what I want to share with you before we walk out of here. Is that God, that doesn't mean that, you, you know, your, your, your tulips are going to grow pretty and your daisies are going to grow right and you're going to have the best garden in the neighborhood either. What it means is your land, your land is where you live spiritually in your life and the things that you're connected to, and the things where your provisions come from. So, so the land was significant to people because on their land, if it didn't grow, they didn't grow crops. They couldn't prosper. Their prosperity was their crops. Their prosperity was how well their cows and their cattle got fed and their herds of animals got fed based on the provision of the land. So when you had bad land, you know, you can't grow cattle in a desert. You can't feed your camels correctly in the, you know, you understand what I'm saying? You, you can't take care of what you have. You can't grow a crop in the desert because it's dry. God said, you're going to need my blessings. You're going to need rain. And the reason why God chose rain, because back then, that was the mean, their monetary means of meeting their needs. But in our day and age, it doesn't matter if you don't have any cattle. If you don't have a farm, it doesn't matter. What's in your life that needs to be produced? What is in your life that God wants to start producing? What's in your business that you need more profit from or businesses from or, or income from? Your children. How do they need to prosper in their life? You know that God will give wisdom and understanding when you open up your heart to you to, to Him. That provision does not limit it to money or our, our monetary things. It is a lot of times the wisdom of God that comes, the knowledge that gives you, the, the understanding, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the compassion of God. God blesses you because He's so generous and there is no end to His generosity. But God said if there ever comes a time where those things stop or you don't see it happening the way you should or it's not prospering, Whatever you're doing, if it's not prospering like it should, that if my people, that's you and I, are you his people today? Come on, do you belong to him? If my people who are called by my name, somebody say Jesus. Come on, somebody say Jesus. Come on, that's the name that's been given to everyone. It's a name that's above every name. If my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, will stop doing what they want to do and start obeying my word. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face, wait on me, turn their hearts to me, then I'm going to make my face shine upon them. Then I'm going to cause them to prosper. Then I'm going to send my word to them and they're going to release it and angels are going to work on their behalf and M Michael, the archangel, is going to fight for you and remove all the restrictions and the heavens will open up and the blessings will begin to pour out and God will let everyone know that he is with you, in you, and working through you. Our mission here at Covenant Life Center is to help our world live, give, and love like Jesus. 
If our ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love for you to email us at info at clcvictoria.org. You can get connected with us through our social media at clcvictoria and download our app.